Welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for joining us. We have got an absolutely loaded CRE Executive Roundtable for you today with presentations from CBRE's Mike Lafitte on the overall state of commercial real estate development, Varys Jason McCann on how the company adopted new products and technology to protect staff and fortify its offices early on in the COVID-19 pandemic, Balfour Beatty's Pless Mitchell on what to expect from the construction industry for the remainder of the year, and Ray Washburn of Charter Holdings on how July may be another tough month for bars and restaurants. If you're new to the show, we're glad you're here. Please make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you get every new episode right to your mobile device and to follow Trek on social media. Now, here's another CRE Executive Roundtable right here on TrekCast. Thank you, everybody, for being on this morning. Um, a couple things, you know, we got the surge in the cases, the COVID cases. It's kind of looking like it's uh, um, going to create more choppiness than than we had hoped for or expected. And uh, Mike, I'm just kind of, um, you know, where are the bodies buried? What are we missing? Is it better or worse than we think? Um, are you optimistic, pessimistic? You know, kind of how are you looking at the world from 90 days ago? Yeah, well, I'll uh, I'll just kind of bounce around and just throw a bunch of random thoughts out. I, I looked at uh, been kind of looking at some of our own research and just thought I'd share some some stats that might be kind of interesting for the group as a backdrop. You know, we started this thing like everybody else, not really knowing how severe it was going to be. We instantly, as as a public company, started doing all the stress tests. You know, we had a weekly board meeting um, with our board, just trying to figure out. You know, we, we were fortunate. We entered the uh, entered this thing in a really uh, a very strong financial position but it's it's uh this is just unlike anything anybody's ever really seen it's hard to model it hard to know when it's going to when it's going to turn around i think it's we would all say that it, this is significant i don't know if it's a 100 year or 200 year flood kind of an event but the ripple effect of of um, hospitality and retailers and small business and everything else is is extremely real just a couple of, I'll do a kind of a, an around the horn, uh, just kind of random thoughts. First of all, just looking at the infected population number, um, the U.S. is the highest in the world. We, we're, we're, we're at a 0.82% infection rate, um, which is literally the highest in the world. UK was 0.47%. Italy was 0.4%. So the, the infected, the rate of infections, obviously, and I think Testing has a, probably has a lot to do with that. Uh, you know, we're watching the numbers. I keep telling myself what really matters is the death rate and the hosp hospitalization rates. Uh, the, the, the case rates are absolutely going to go up. When you look at the deaths per million, uh, Europe by far was worse. Uh, Europe, uh, the UK was 650 deaths per million. The, the U.S. is sitting at like 380. So, uh, you know, if you look at UK, Spain, and Italy, they had uh, what translated into a materially more deaths per million, just in terms of just kind of how that, how it played out. No, it's still playing out. You know, when, when you kind of step back and look at the broader economy, you know, we started off the year projecting the U.S. GDP was going to be plus 2%. We're now projecting it's going to be down 6.3%. Um, next year, I will, I will say that our, our research, I love them to death. We tend to be more optimistic than, than maybe others. Maybe that's in our DNA as real estate professionals in, in terms of kind of promoting hope. 
but they try to be as objective as they can. Looking at 2021, they're projecting 6.3% positive GDP growth next year. Um, I will say, when it, if you look across the whole spectrum of research, from Goldman to B of A, JP Morgan, all the other ones that are out there, the range for next year for 2021 in terms of GDP growth for the U.S. is anywhere from plus 2% to plus 10%. So our house view is kind of in the middle uh, there. You know, unemployment's going to probably peak somewhere between 18 and 20% uh, this year. We'll probably get up to that. So, so that's kind of a backdrop. Um, when I just start doing the around the horn by product type office, you know, the biggest question really is the, the future of office. The, you know, what percentage will work from home? What, what percentage will be somewhat fluid or flexible? Uh, we do think that it will change somewhat, but we do not think that it's the end of the office space by any stretch. Um, there's a huge question around the agile space, all of the co-working and flexible uh, space. There's still demand from the occupiers for sure for that product, um, but probably not in the pure co-working desk sharing uh, version of that. So the density question, I think in the near term, certainly uh, will, will be challenged in terms of packing more people. One of the big issues for the office is collections. Um, in April, we saw this is just our overall broad research view, 86% collections in the office market. In May, that went down to 80%. And uh, so I think we'll be watching June very closely to see kind of what happens in the office sector um, for the collection side of things. Um, on retail, obviously, everyone knows the distress that retail is under, especially secondary malls and big box are certainly getting hit hard. What we would call experience retail, uh, restaurants, gyms, anything entertainment is certainly challenged, not as much so as maybe some of the others because they're going back, but they're challenged with capacity rates. We've heard Ray um, Washburn talk a lot about that. And I think the key issue for retails is simply liquidity, just staying powder power. You know, we've gotten a lot of uh, regulatory relief, forbearance. Um, landlords have, have been very accommodating. And how long that goes on, uh, it will be interesting to kind of to, to watch that. The industrial sector is kind of the, right now is the bell of the ball. It's certainly the strongest sector from a leasing and even capital markets perspective. Um, I've been on some calls with Jack Fraker and our national partners team. You know, they would, they would say that pricing today is basically where pre-COVID pricing was on, on core uh, strong industrials. So the, the, the discounts, certainly in, this, in terms of what we're seeing in capital markets of sales, is, is pretty small, if, if, if any, uh, on industrial. There's some segments that are kind of offshoots that are interesting, cold storage, public storage, data centers. I think are all kind of in favor and all are performing pretty well. Cold storage, obviously, the more home delivery, maybe a shorter term thing, but that's uh, that's certainly in demand. I would say on on uh, our Trammel Crow company, our development experience, you know, seven of the eight deals that have come through our investment committee over the last sixty days have been industrial. So we would not build a spec office building today. We're we've approved one spec life sciences uh, deal in in Chicago, kind of a unique situation. Um, but but uh, anything we're doing on the development side today would be anything new would primarily be industrial number one and second would be multifamily uh, that we would consider. We would not do a, a new spec office building today, although we have a fair amount of it in the pipeline. The good news is most of that is pre-leased or it's, it's fee development work. Multifamily is hanging in there. Collections are still above 90% on the rent side. Uh, I would say it's very steady. Um, we're expecting a, a pretty good comeback in 2021 in the multifamily side. I think the key issue or the key kind of subsectors of this are student housing and senior housing clearly are, are, are going to be challenged. 
a lot of private equity money, and this I'll make some comments about the public markets, uh, are actually buying securities rather than buying direct real estate because of the discounts, um, whether that's on the debt or the equity side. REITs, you know, from the very peak uh, fell 43%. They've gained 17% of that back. So if you actually were loading up on REITs in March and maybe early April, you know, you've probably doubled your money or you've, you've made quite a, a good return. And we've seen a lot of institutional kind of private equity firms like KKR and others, those kinds of people playing in, in those markets because of, uh, because of the dislocation there. Dramatic discounts compared to the private uh, side of the market. You know, I th we heard John Gates, I think on the last call, just talk about volumes of leasing and sales um, in terms of impact. Uh, you know, we're seeing, depending on the, the sector, Overall, year over year, I'd say leasing's down, you know, generally a third. Uh, sales probably down 40 to 50% compared to last year. That would be for the, the last, you know, 90 days. Our expectations, at least our research says volumes globally, investment sales volumes will be down something like a third uh, from prior year. Um, so while that sounds pretty terrible, that still says that there's some transactions that are happening. I would say on the core side, a lot of dry powder in the core space. Uh, core funds are able to still kind of go find some deals. Um, there's also quite a bit of money lined up on the kind of the opportunistic distress side, but not a lot of deals are trading because there's not a lot of, of willing sellers at distressed prices. So there's more appetite uh, there for the distress than there is actual deals to, to happen. Uh, the last point I guess I would make is just really our own experience. We have st we've been very cautious to open up any offices. Uh, we're starting to kind of work on Boston, Denver, Chicago, uh, and uh, a couple other markets. Texas markets are still closed for us. We're all working from home. We're all working, but it's uh, I'm not sure we're as productive as we're, we are busy. And we have a fair amount of discussion around that. So, uh, Bill, that's, that's kind of a, a random around-the-horn view. The yield spreads, you know, have come back pretty significantly on corporate bonds. Um, the market, stock market and the REITs have improved and there's, and the agencies are still there, although their volumes are off probably a third as well. But uh, Freddie and Fannie are still in business very much so in the multifamily side and thank God for them. Um, so that's it. So do you think, um, do you think the lenders are going to forbear for another 90 days for in certain situations or do you think the 90 day window that happened early is going to be it? Because you know, in retail and hotel, it's going to be really ugly if, if there isn't a little bit more forgiveness, in my opinion. Yeah, and then well, the other question I would ask you is, if, you, if, if Crow had a 50% pre-leased office building, would you build it? It would have to be uh, pretty unique and we'd have to, <laughs> you know, it, 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 would, it would depend on the market. I would just say it would depend on the market. I mean, we would, if we, you know, that, the, the beauty of any, any new start, obviously, you're looking beyond you're looking two or three years out and trying to project what's going to be there. There, there are some, there is some financing available for deals, but it's, it's, it's very few and far between. It's got to be a compelling story. Um, I'm not the best to answer the forbearance question. I think it's going to be case by case and lender by lender and relationship. You got a good sponsor. You got a good story. You know, Joe and others on this phone probably have a better perspective on, on, you know, that. Um, so I, I might yield to others. Any, anybody have any questions of Mike? Joe, you got a comment on the forbearance? Well, you know, I'll just say that, that we've been 
very fortunate because we've had very, very limited number of requests of forbearance. Um, the way the way we've approached it is really drilling pretty deep on the financial side to to, to look and make certain that the forbearance is needed. And like I said, there've been so few requests. I'm not really the best best to ask. You know, there is more. Um, there's there's certainly some more regulatory lenience, but uh, there there's a real concentration on being consistent with the way you handle it. Uh, so there really haven't been any uh, special cases for us in terms of varying from a pretty strict uh, uh, monitoring. And yeah, you know, I, I, so beyond that, I can't really don't really have a lot to, to offer. Okay, thanks. Okay, um, yeah, go ahead, Colin. Mike, have you heard any uh, tenant requests from out of state or out of market that are looking at North Texas any more than they were pre-COVID? Uh, I'm not aware of of that. Um, no, I mean, I, I think I think markets like Texas. You know, obviously, we've got to get through the COVID situation, but I think. You know, when you look at markets that are expected to do well kind of going forward, I mean, markets, certainly markets like Texas will, will, will fare very well. Tech, tech, anything tech-related, anything healthcare-related right now is, is actually still holding its own. But I, I, think, uh, I think North Texas is going to continue to fare quite well. It just always, it just, we do. Whether it's jobs, relocations, all those things. We've got so much going for us in North Texas that it, Still a great place to be. Texas and, and Florida and other places have got a, a real issue on our right now in terms of just the case numbers. But beyond that, I think we still fare extremely well. Anything else for Mike? Mike, I appreciate your – that was very good. Thanks. Jason, um, you know, um, Jason McCann at Barry uh, has got a completely different – He's a market changer. He's got a completely different look at, uh, at the real estate business. And I just thought it would be valuable because I think his timing's been impeccable. Or I don't know if he ordered up COVID or what he did, but it seems to be leaning into what he's doing. But go ahead, Jason. Yeah, so I'll, uh, I'm going to try to share my screen here for those of you that, that have a, a visual. Just a, a couple slides. That's showing up for everybody? Yes. So um, quick on us, obviously you're familiar with the, the product there at the bottom right, the, the Veridesa we created back in 2012. Now have 3 million people using it across 130 countries. That's so been a crazy journey for us. And we've got exposure now to over 98% of the Fortune 500 from that product, as well as now we moved into full offices in the last um, five years. And so we rebranded to Vary back in January, invested in a multi-million dollar campaign with the team that took Federal Express to FedEx. Impeccable timing to say that we can build your full office in less than 28 days um, and launched it pre-COVID. And then when COVID hit, obviously the all of us were, were shocked into that. And so three things that, that we saw out there immediately. So our, our business was built on the backbone of e-commerce is that like all of you, we shifted to 100% work from home. And in our e-commerce business started to 
immediately surge back up again. So while the majority of my business in the last two years has been direct business sales to high growth companies that were looking for flexible office furniture and, and thinking about the workspace of the future, immediately um, when COVID hit us on, and on March 13th is when we went work from home, by April 1st, we were doing adjusting all of our TV campaigns and everything to work from home. So we saw a, a two to three to 400% spike in work from home. And I think what happened was everybody started sitting on the kitchen table, hunched over and realized they needed something. And so I had the team shift it. We did a discount code. I don't believe in couponing or discount codes, the way that traditional retail works. Um, we believe in the, the model that you know, Jim Senegal built at Costco or, or Sam built at Walmart. We just believe in everyday value. And so we had never done a discount code for our e-commerce site. So we turned on a code for the first time, said work from home. Like I've got to, in my, my rallying cry to my team became, we've got to continue rowing until the wind catches our sails and power through this. And as we were going through that process, corporate accounts, and you're seeing them now in the media, Google, Facebook, EY, others started some gave stipends, some just said, how do we get through this? Some like JP Morgan said that they can't have their team members work at home without some type of ergonomic solution. We, they can't be hunched over on the, on the futon all afternoon. We're going to have BMI issues, health issues, all these things. So that provided a tremendous revenue stream for us because we were considered an essential business. Pre-COVID, we were also doing five to six full office installations a day across the country. And so that, from our, for those of you that don't know our business, we, we space plan and design now. Um, we come in and we, we're in stock on all of our furniture in three distribution centers in the U.S. and nine distribution centers globally. And then we actually come in and install the furniture. So we're in stock. It's kind of the opposite of the traditional furniture procurement process through a, the dealer network and made to order. Um, were the opposite of that. And so as we started to do five or six pre-COVID, during COVID, we were down to one per day. So that that became a challenge for me. I was just trying to like all of you survive financially and you can't, we can live on our e-commerce revenue, but I had, you know, I'm, I'm making a strategic shift as we grew it. So the the thing while the entire team was out, our headquarters, for those of you who've been in, is a, is a flexible workspace that moves and changes and the walls change and, and everything is designed to do it. Um, and so the, the beauty is we can actually move everything. So while everybody was out and there were 10 of us here in our 80,000 square foot headquarters, I reached out to my teams in Asia and said, what are they doing? So I, I was going to mention this to, to Ray. Um, it was like all the restaurants over there started doing temperature checks at all the restaurants. They started spraying alcohol on your hands before you walk into a restaurant. They started doing the four little marks on the floor in the elevators. And they started facing out people more. And so I, this was, they, since our teams in China and Taiwan were 10 weeks ahead of us, I redesigned the entire headquarters to move and the walls to change. And we added acrylic panels and all these things. And I started testing all these ideas so everybody could be six feet away so that the team members could come back in and literally be, feel safer. So we put in, instead of the manual temperature checks that we were doing, we bought a system called EZO from, uh, that is used in the Taipei 101. And it's also used at a lot of the border crossings because they've been checking my temperature for 15 years. And so all those things, we started buying these technologies and putting them into our space so our team members could come back in. So from a timing standpoint, by May, I had 25% of my team start coming back in on May 4th. 
50% on the 11th and, and 75% by the 25th. And we started doing tours then. We started wearing masks and doing tours with masks on and temperature checks for our guests. Like we started practicing all these things. So even when the CDC guidelines came out, we were actually ahead and those things were working for us. Um, the third thing we saw, we, we've been sort of seeing this with our, with our Verispace model, but on, I just remember on Mother's Day, so that, that, that Sunday, I got three emails from, from asset owners on Mother's Day, which is a weird time to, to get an email, but three of them saying, hey, can we connect next week about your walls or about your, we're, we're, we're trying to monetize some space is what, when I peeled back the conversations with the three of them, they said, we recognize that we've got space that we need to fill and monetize because we've got tenants now that, are, that, are re, that want to re, renegotiate their deal. They want something shorter. They need it more spread out. Like, how can, what can you help us with on the asset side? And it's sort of what we had, we had worked with um, Equity Office years ago on, and, and a few of y'all, we've been kind of talking about this. Um, and it didn't go so well. We were doing some spec suites and it was, but the market was so hot and everybody was leasing it out traditionally. So um, maybe I, I, we didn't know what we were doing or maybe, you know, we just, it, we, maybe we were just early, but on, I just remember on Mother's Day, they started reaching out to us. So um, with, with Verispace, we're, we're going to announce, I, I think it'll hit here pretty soon that we're now fully leased. Um, I guess that means 97%. So that to me is pretty full in our first building, which is the old sales headquarters in Las Colinas. And the way we've approached it has been, um, you know, three to five to seven year leases, but we're willing to do shorter term leases. We only offer our products in the space fully furnished. We turn it over to our clients. They bring in the technology. Therefore, with these, what I would call evergreen tenant improvements to the workspace, which is different than white boxing. Um, now that I'm a little more familiar with the industry, um, it's a little bit different in that we can move a, a client in and out in a, in a, if, if they do decide to transition out. It's not co-working the way you think of a common desk or industrious or, or we work in that we only um, deal with enterprise level clients and we do three to five year leases. It's not a month to month. There's no, our smallest client there at, in Las Colinas is 10,000 square feet. Our largest is a Verizon that's over 200,000 square feet. In our second building in South Lake, again, another building that we did buy from Equity Office. And it was the reason we bought it is because we had done a couple of spaces for them in Solana. They had leased up really fast. And then they didn't, and then it, it worked okay, but they didn't want to do anything else with it. So when they approached us about the building at 114 in Kirkwood, um, you know, we said, what do you want to do? And they said, we just want to, we just want to unload this thing. And so we just asked for a price and, uh, you know, not knowing anything, we bought it because it's been empty for 12 years, but we should announce our first tenants um, that will uh, move in in August. And that, and we started, you know, transitioning the building right now. So the other things that we've seen just from a takeaway standpoint is that the um, clients went from immediately reaching out to us, even the ones that were leasing space from us and said, how do we get ready to transition back to work? And so where, where I think um, in South Lake, for instance, our parking is eight to one ratio. So probably one of the most dense, even though somebody could do it, the space plans that we're doing now are roughly 5.5 to 1000 density. And that allows clients to be at that um, six foot spacing between each thing. The other thing in the last eight weeks, I was talking to my, my sales team, just trying to prep for this today. And I said, what else are you seeing out there that I can share with my team? Most clients are now asking for two space plan designs on every project. 
a current state, like so the installations that we're doing a COVID design, and all their word is they want to be able to transition over time. So they want a second design that in the next six months to 12 months, what could the space look like? What could the density get to? So instead of doing one space plan design for clients, we're actually starting to do two for everybody to get them in. The other thing in the last, and this would be, and it's probably the same thing that Ray described on the call the other day was in the last two weeks pre, as we were starting to open back up, we were already back to four to six installations a day across the country. Like I'd kind of, I was telling my team, I can kind of feel a little bit of wind hitting the sails, but I don't want it to be a false positive here. We could literally be in the eye of the storm and about to get hit from the other side. So let's keep rowing and stay very focused. But that I did get that initial surge that when when Ray was describing the the ninety percent you know occupancy and things coming back and and when um, when Airbridge was talking about the hotels in Galveston being full like I felt that almost false positive there um, but we're starting to see that we're starting to do installations across the country we got hit with the um, the riot so we did have we've had quite a few projects pushed off because retail was destroyed for asset owners and their lower floors and they. We couldn't go in and install spec suite furniture into their spaces or for their clients. Um, but we are we are seeing um, a shift so in, in our e-commerce business was probably 80% was shipped to businesses pre-COVID. During COVID, it was a, an immediate flip to 80% was shipped and increased and then was shipped direct to home. Um, and now we're seeing that stabilize and it's almost back to a 50-50. So I can kind of see where some people are coming back to work. Um, from that from that standpoint, let me see if I have anything else I can share here. Um, is, that, is there a question, Bill? I'd love to. Have, have you had any COVID cases with all the safety uh, precautions you've taken in your office space? Have yes, you so had any? Yes, yeah, so we're hundred yeah, percent back, and so um, and we follow every one of the CDC guidelines. I would argue on steroids. So since March, so even when my teams were remote. Um, we've had a total of five in between. I've got over 300 employees, a total of five. So those ones in March were while people were home um, and had, you know, and, and out. Um, we've only had two since they were back and both um, were um, probably could be outside. So, you know, I, I was listening to people talking about, hey, the restaurants and bars kind of opened fast and people were out celebrating. And, and so, what I did um, this last week, so Legacy ER down the street from us offers the, both the new antigen test, both tests. So that's covered under our insurance plan. So I rolled it out yesterday to my staff. You can go down and get tested. Um, and if you're hourly, because we have a large portion of our teams are hourly based on the, the current HR laws, I just pay for the time and they can buzz down and get it. Um, we do all the quarantining. So if somebody did have it here and then whoever they had contact with, it's all through HIPAA and HR addresses all that. And so the teams are remote. The thing I'm hearing from clients like Google and others that we, we do business with and even our, our bigger tenants. So a couple things, one for one of our tenants at, at Ferris Face Las Colinas, they were gonna be 100% hoteling and, that, and the hot desking model where you're, you don't have an assigned seat. And we heard this across the country as people are trying to over densify and, and push these assets to the limit as far as the number of bodies in the buildings, they're immediately all telling us they're no longer going to be hot desking for the majority of space. Um, the things that we've employed here is we pre-wipe and post-wipe all the desks. I've got 1% of my staff dedicated to cleaning, and so that has become a, 
just a, a thing I talk to people about that's very different than a lot of companies thinking about 1% of their staff literally cleans all the time. But the, the companies that were doing hoteling before are now coming back and saying, we're going to do very limited hoteling. And those will be, and, and that could be the, the point that Mike touched on, the co-working model of shared space. So I'm going to want dedicated space. Each of the employees has a dedicated space. They pre and post wipe their space. All conference rooms are spread out pre and post wipe. So you literally walk in and if a team, we do have a team meeting and again, it's all spaced out in the, in the conference table, you even have stickers to, to notify what six feet is. People are pre wiping and post wiping. And it's just become part of the norm for that. And that's stuff that was done with us in Asia. If you, for those of you that have traveled overseas a lot, people have been wearing masks for 10 plus years. Um, you'll hear, you'll see these crazy colds wipe through these factories that I, when I've been over there and there's no heaters, no, I mean, it's brutal what wipes through when all these people are together and you sort of get used to extra Purells and not shaking people's hands and doing things a little bit differently that are sort of hitting the U.S. for the first time. So that's just been sort of a, 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 a trend we're seeing. Were there any other questions? Any other questions of Jason? Thank you, Jason. Can uh, can you give us back that the screen? Yep. Let me. Uh... It uh, one of the things you know I keep hearing is that um, you know there's going to be a huge reduction in construction costs, and. Um, I just thought, I'd, uh, it, it, please, if you could kind of step up and kind of see what you're seeing and, and um, give us an update on, you know, a lot of us developers are kind of hoping that there's going to be uh, um, a reduction in costs that will kind of help us on the other side of this. I'd love to see if, if that's actually playing out or what your, your opinion is on, on costs. Sure. Uh, so, once again, thanks, uh, Bill, for inviting me to to give an update, you know, I was really honored when you asked me, but then I started to think, um, you know, 10 of my clients are on this call. They all have good <laughs> memories. And whatever I say can and will be used against me probably <laughs> at some point. So, uh, but, but thanks. Um, you know, you asked me to answer kind of five questions, which are, you know, obviously are prices coming down? You know, what's the sweet spot? What's the pipeline look like? You know, labor issues, and are there any other issues out there? Uh, and so we went out and polled most of our major, a lot of our major subcontractors to kind of get their feedback. You know, there's also a good article in the paper last week from Steve Brown. I think probably everybody saw that. Some information from, you know, FMI. Uh, so with that, you know, I'll just kind of go through the, the, the questions. You know, I think from a, you know, we kind of looked at the major subs and those would be kind of our form, place and finish, you know, ready mix, rebar, glass and glazing, roofing, drywall, mechanical and electrical. So in each of these questions, we have kind of a subset of that. Uh, you know, I would say, you know, the general um, answer from everybody right now on our costs coming down you know, I think generally everyone's saying they're pretty steady right now, and that's fairly consistent with what Steve Brown said. Um, 
I don't know if he pulled the exact same subs, but it's almost like we got the exact same answer. Um, you know, if it's glass and glazing, some of those types of jobs, they said if they could, if they could buy it today, you know, if you had a job that, that we could, that you could buy today, the design was ready and ready to start, yes, you could see maybe a three or 4% reduction. And that would typically just be coming from the subcontractor's fees. You know, they're, they're not seeing significant reduction in their commodities or, or pricing. I would say, you know, the one thing we did see is rebar. That's down a little bit, but it's down, you know, I think 3%. But they expect, you know, once, you know, the markets open up and people start buying scrap metal again, that's going to go right back up. So that's kind of a, a blip that you could take advantage of. Um, you know, from a, you know, a drywall standpoint, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out, you know, what's going on in the market, uh, you know, and what's going to be taking place, you know, in third quarter, fourth quarter, first quarter of next year, as we all are, because everyone has plenty of work right now. You know, that's not the problem. There's plenty of work to get them through definitely the, the end of this year. And I'd say, you know, Balfour Beatty's probably in the same, same boat. We're, we, we, this year looks good, but next year uh, starts to get a little more gray. Uh, you know, the mechanical guys uh, from pricing, uh, you know, they're saying pretty, pretty, staying pretty steady. They have plenty of backlog for right now. Uh, but people that don't could take, you know, could take a cheap job. But that's also something we have to be aware of. Uh, you know, this is where subcontractors make some pretty stupid decisions that we don't know about until 18 months from now, that they took a bunch of work uh, really cheap. Electrical, you know, they're seeing some, some, some actual costs rise, and those are mainly from supply chain issues. So that's what's, you know, you're dealing with, yes, less work, but you're also dealing with it's more difficult to get materials. Um, so that, that's kind of where we are on prices coming down. Uh, you know, the sweet spot for prices coming down, you know, they're saying it's probably, you know, this, you know, third quarter, you know, like I said, if you've got a job that, that people believe is going to start, that's where you're gonna get good pricing. Um, there's a lot of deals swirling around out there, great deals right now. Uh, that 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 even we're looking at, but you know the question is, are they going to go? And that's the question on everyone's mind. Um, you know, I'd say uh, you know glass and glazing. They said pretty consistent with what they said. The next sixty days, um, you know, mechanical, you know, electrical, kind of in the same boat. Um, but it really, you know, the problem is. Yes, you could. If you could go buy a job today, yeah, you might get a little little break in your cost, three to four percent, maybe. But I don't know who's going to be able to to commit to a deal right now that everyone's confident is really going to start. Um, so, you know, the pipeline. I think they're looking at it pretty much the same we are. Uh, you know, I think the you know not a, a lot of these subs do industrial a ton of industrial, but they do a ton of data centers and they do a ton of, you know, that cold uh, storage work, which everyone's seeing a big rise in. Um, you know, uh, you know, I'd say from drywall, you know, from a pipeline, 
they're, they're really concerned about, you know, what is going to go on in these offices, even some of the uh, interiors drywall players we talk to, you know, what does the world look like when we come out of this? Less space, is it, is it the same square footage, but with less offices, you know, some of those same issues we're dealing with. But, you know, everyone seems to be fairly, you know, confident for right for, I'd say, 2020, but, you know, 2021 and 2022 are certainly a concern from a pipeline. Uh, I'd say more so for, for us in the 2022 uh, arena. Um, let's see. You know, I think, you know, pipeline, like I said, and also, as was stated earlier, healthcare, you know, if we can get through this COVID thing and get these beds back open, uh, we believe healthcare, several jobs in higher education also is, is a market that's, that's looking really strong right now locally. You know, I would say, I'm sorry, somebody have a question? It, so, it sounds to me like then, I mean, it's, I mean, your pipeline's full through the year, but but um, you're thinking, or at least if I read through the tea leaves, if there's a real deal that comes, you think there's going to be aggressive pricing. Yes. And because next year, everybody, I mean, we don't have a bunch of stuff on the books going beyond next year. Yeah, right. I mean, and for us, you know, 18 months out, two years out for a general contractor is pretty hazy anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, we, we typically know the market will be there. We don't know exactly which projects it will be. Um, but, you know, a build-a-suit that somebody really knows the tenant's coming and it's going to happen, yes, I think you could probably get some pricing. The problem is, when do they think it's actually going to start um, and how far along are the drawings so they understand when it's going to start? Um, it, you know, so, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Uh, you know, labor, you know, the problem with the labor market was it was completely overstressed to begin with. So it's really kind of getting back to normal. So from a labor pricing standpoint, no one's saying, you know, it's kind of just back to normal, kind of a steady state. So no huge reduction in wages for, for construction workers right now. They're all pretty busy. Uh, the problem is also, I mean, they're, they're, it's a really stressed market right now related to dealing with this COVID issue on project sites. And now it's getting warm. I mean, now it's getting hot and dealing with, um, with the mask issue. So, you know, we're looking more at uh, more shift work. So that just takes more people, which means more labor. So, um, so we're looking, you know, we see that out there. Uh, you know, they are doing as, you know, some of us, you know, they're really concentrating on their A and B players. So they're keeping them. So they're paying them whatever it takes to keep them. And as the market kind of softens, they'll, they'll let some of the newer hires go. Uh, let's see. I have a couple of questions. Sure. Um, first of all, um, as a global construction company, do you all arbitrage construction materials like the airline industry does fuel? No, it's, it's, it's a fairly local market. You, you know, I mean, Perhaps, um, you, you know, even glass and glazing, Harmon's got a huge factory here. Uh, but I would say, you know, my discussion today is purely Dallas. You know, I think it was Ray that talked about the restaurant business a while back. It was like, well, Florida right now is a 
for us. I mean, we our office was mainly Disney work, Universal, SeaWorld. It's all gone. I mean, it just shut off one day. Uh, you know, our our Charlotte and um, Atlanta offices are are had a lot of work put on hold, but DC and the Northwest and California are still going very well. But no, I mean local. You know, and and the problem also is all those materials are typically bought through the subcontractors. So they have their own procurement, you know, deals that they go through. But I would say it's mainly pretty local. We have a, you know, we have some, some of that that, that we can help subs with across the group, but, but not significant. And then the second question I have is relative to labor costs. We're all gonna inevitably see an increase in hourly wages. It's just gonna happen over the course of the next um, year, I would say, as a result of some of the awareness around, um, around labor costs and, and hourly wages. Do you have any, have you all done any projections about what that does in terms of construction cost increase? Um, you know, what, what the sub from a subcontractor standpoint, they're telling me they, they, they don't see that right now, a huge uh, wage increase. Um, I would say, you know, Balfour Beatty's blessed to have the work we have, and I'm seeing more resumes from other general contractors than I've ever seen right now. So there's something going on in the market with the other GCs that there's, they're letting people go, a significant amount of people go. So that, I think that will at least, you know, Balfour Beatty's always going to do the right thing for our people, but I don't, I don't see a huge stress right now, at least in in North Texas, I mean, Austin is always, a, as, as it always is, it's its own little world. Um, and that's where we see kind of the crazy labor shortage and wage hikes more there than we see in, in Dallas and Fort Worth. And the only other, th I just, this is more of a comment, but just for everyone's awareness, um, Harris County and Travis County has started, um, they've started having regular testing from the Texas Division of Emergency Management. And I would anticipate that if you have construction projects ongoing now, you're gonna start seeing that in Dallas County sometime soon. But that, was, that just came out yesterday, so I just wanted you all to be aware of that. Um, yep. That's all I had, thank you. Sure. You know, Any other questions? Um, okay, so I wanted to shift real quick. Uh, that's the end of the program, but I wanted Ray to come on real quick because he, he gave a presentation to the Trek board meeting the other day on uh, them re-shutting down restaurants. And um, Ray, just give us five, a couple minutes on what you're seeing and what's going on. And to okay. kind of tell us how you were doing before they did it. Okay. Um, it's not, not a pretty sight in the restaurant business right now. We uh, you know, 10 days ago, we're a very data-driven business, and I've got interest in 65 you know, different restaurants and bars. And we started seeing a big slowdown beginning about 10 days ago of a shift of in-restaurant in sales of the takeout, and that was very concerning to us. We're starting to see the consumer behavior. Also, in the Highland Park Village, I noticed just car traffic for all our retailers very slowing down. I walked out here last night about... 5, 5.30, normally the parking lot's about 75 to 80% filled. There were four cars in the parking lot. So people are not shopping right now. They're, not, they're very scared to go out. But in the restaurants, as you know, last Friday, closed all bars, something like the Katie Chill Ice House. 
51% alcohol, over 51%, all were 100% shut down. And he came out and gave everybody an hour and a half warning. So we had to throw out three days of food and let people go. I mean, it was just, it was horrible um, in that sense. And the restaurants uh, were at 50% to be on the interiors. We've shifted patios outside and you all have been in the village or other place you've seen, we shifted everybody eating out in the parking lot. And it's, I was, I came by last night at nine o'clock, she was, and we were packed outside because you can be tables within six feet of each other. So we've just taken over about 15 parking spaces and just spread everybody out. People just don't want to go inside the restaurants to eat. It's been, uh, and so takeout is, we were at 90% sales till about two weeks ago. Now we've dropped about 70%. And as you know, in so many businesses, your profit is all made on your last 10 or 15% of your sales. And so it's kind of a break even spot. Two huge black clouds on the horizon um, in our businesses is PPP money runs out for us at the end of this month or at the end of July. Basically, everybody in our industry budgeted to do um, have people hired back. We, we had furloughed 1,800 people. We were at 98% back as of two weeks ago and spent all our PPP money because we thought, you know, everything would be back to normal by the 1st of July. And that is true pretty much across the restaurant industry. You know, hotels, that got PPP. You know, they didn't hire back the amount that we had hired back because they weren't back up at capacity. And so they could drag out. There was uh, Senate passed a uh, legislation last night that extended the PPP time period, didn't add more money to it. So the essence with that is if you hadn't spent it, well, you got some more time to spend it. If you spend it, you're screwed. If we have to go back into furlough period. And the other uh, part of it is with landlords, you know, July 1st, today we have rent. Guess what? You got to have income to pay your rent. So if you're in the bar business and you, you're a landlord and you've got bars, they have no cash flow to pay their July rent. So we're going to start getting phone calls, all the landlords in the next 10 days to say, hey, wait a minute, this is like back to the future. You know, we're back to March and April again with no cash flow. And that goes back to your vendors. Most restaurant companies run, hand them out, the smaller ones. And they don't have the cash flow to support their operations normally. Um, one piece of po the only positive thing is last uh, Friday, a piece of legislation was introduced to create what's like flood insurance. Because the way flood insurance works is the insurance company will pay your policy, even though, and then the government has a flood insurance program, they reimburse the insurance companies. So a House bill was introduced to create a virus insurance program to where we could go in or any of us could go in and say it's since we were shut down by government by the government which we were um we can claim virus insurance it gets paid by the insurance company and then they get reimbursed by the federal government now that has to be voted on but that has been introduced so anyway there are a lot of black clouds coming in july i tell you it's not going to be pretty on your rent collections the next two weeks, you're gonna really start getting phone calls. So anyway, Bill, is that the happy Tuesday or Wednesday morning uh, call? Yes, that was perfect. I wanted to make everybody's day. Does anybody that's on the call have a comment or a thought before we, we give you back your day? I appreciate everybody's participation. If you have a, uh, 
a subject or something you want to cover that you think is important, email me or text me because I want to keep these uh, uh, calls relevant. And when they become irrelevant, we'll stop doing them. But I appreciate everybody's time. And uh, Ray, thanks for jumping in on the end. That's all for today's show. I'd like to thank all of the executives who joined our latest roundtable, and particularly CBRE's Mike Lafitte, Varys Jason McCann, Balfour Beatty's Pless Mitchell, and Charter Holdings' Ray Washburn for your presentations. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and follow Trek on social media. Once again, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.